Hey, y'all, you're listening to episode 150 of the God Center Mom podcast with me, Heather McFadden. And today I'm welcoming Karis Kimmel Murray to the show. She's the author of Grace Based Discipline. And here's a little excerpt of her talking about her basket method. When I often use this, and, and I, uh, I want people to know that this, this doesn't have to be in the moment for this to be helpful, too. You can do it retroactively. So let's say you've had a really hard day and you're just kind of reeling from a day full of behavior from one of your kids or several of your kids that has just made you nuts and you're laying in bed at night and your mind is just racing through all these things, go through each of your kids one at a time and imagine doing this. Think of the things during that day that just set you off. Um, And that's the only criteria. Like we don't need to do anything else at this point We just need, if it bothered you so much that you couldn't think and it lit up your emotions, it goes in the basket and we take it and we put it on a shelf and we come back and we look at our kids um, so that we can reconnect with their hearts. Okay, maybe you're like me. You're in this generation that knows we should be parenting with grace, but you don't know how to realistically execute that grace when you're about to pull your hair out in those hard (laughs) hard parenting decisions and do you just let them get away with their bad behavior? What does that look like practically? Well, Karis is here to help. She grew up in the original grace-based parenting home. Her dad is Dr. Tim Kimmel and he and her mom started the Family Matters Ministry. And I love Karis because she's my contemporary. We're raising kids around the same time. Uh, And she remembers, she's doing it. She's living life. She is not so far removed from the struggle of parenting that she's not relatable. She's also hilarious. And uh, she knows what it's like to have a child that's outside the box, kind of like my interview with Sally and Nathan last episode. Uh, Her daughter was diagnosed with ADHD. And in that diagnostic process, Karis realized she also uh, has the same Diagnosis, And so I felt like Karis was very real, very honest about the hard parts of parenting. And she gives a lot of grace to us to um, do this in a way that we're doing our best. And yet uh, kind of broad stroke ideas, imagery. She's great at analogies. You're going to hear some great analogies, great tips on how, that you can apply today when you approach your kids and their misbehavior. You might even hope they misbehave. So you can try it. Now, there's some links we mentioned in the show. You can always find those over at GodCenterMom.com. But if you want them in your inbox, if you want them to come straight to your email, all you have to do is go to my site in the sidebar, put your email in, and select GCM Weekly Episodes. And when I say show notes, those are basically a blog post that comes straight to your inbox. So go check that out if you want those resources delivered straight to you. All right, let's get to my conversation with Karis. Here we go. Hey, Karis. Welcome to the God Center Mom podcast. Hey, Heather. Thanks so much. This is so fun. So fun. You and I were just talking like, <laughs> how did we get here? What are we doing? We've met so <laughs> long ago. Yes. Uh, I think I was pregnant with my youngest. And yes. and here we are. I have and a podcast and you have an amazing book and we get to talk about it. <laughs> yes. I, I uh, have loved kind of keeping up with you over the years after we met, um, at a blogging conference, it was probably six years ago at least. Yeah. Um, yeah. And at, I remember talking with you and you said, Hey, you know, my takeaway from this conference is I might try this thing called podcasting. Really? Did and, I say that? That's so yeah. crazy. And, and we talked afterwards and you were like, yeah, I think, I think I'm going to give it a go. That's and so, so I'm so pleased to see how God has used this and, and that you obeyed and listened to his call. It's just mm-hmm. awesome. It's so fun. And and I love that God has placed you in a family, in the, in the Kimmel family, so that you've experienced grace-based parenting firsthand to mm-hmm. a, so that you can now write this book as my fellow mom friend perspective. <laughs> like I was saying, it's rare to read a parenting discipline book from the mom uh, who's been in the trenches and has the hilarious stories. Y'all laugh out loud. <laughs> I don't typically read books and laugh out loud. But I was just like full on couldn't stop laughing, <laughs> wanted someone to be nearby so I could tell them the story uh, yes. that Kara uh, shares in this book, Grace-Based, Grace-based Discipline. Um, so before we get into all that, please introduce everyone to your family. 
Okay. Well, um, my family, I'm married to Mike, Mm -hmm. um, and we've been married uh, 16 years in May, almost 16 years. Um, We have two daughters, and my oldest daughter, Riley, is 14 years old, and my younger daughter, Lydia, is 12, and she would want me to tell you that she's almost 13. Right, right. She's She's going on going on 13. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's important. Yeah. And we noticed, you know, not, not long were you married until kids entered right. your home. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Not, not long were we married till kids, kids, uh, came along. I, I was 20 and my husband was 22 when we got married and I found out I was pregnant seven months into our marriage, which, you know, yeah. I, I kind of went from the uh, the university campus to the nursery mm. real fast. I had kind of a quick baptism by fire uh, into parenting. Tough. Um, yeah. Tough. Yeah. And, and it always feels like that, I think, <laughs> for everybody. So even if like you're ready. Be, like, we waited right. six years. It was right. still hard. It's still... Yeah. You're, oh, completely. And I had, like, this master's and zero to three child development. I thought I was totally ready. No. Oh yeah. Yeah. You thought you had the parenting thing on lock. Like you were, you were ready to rock it. And then you actually have your kids and you realize that, that it's not as easy as just telling them not to do something (laughs) or asking them to do do something. Like, wouldn't it be nice if that worked? But because we know that that often doesn't work (laughs) for most kids. Yeah. Um, Even the newborns, it's like, will you please stop spitting up the entire Right. meal you just ate or just, just don't cry. I fed you. Yeah. Right. Don't cry. Just eat the food I fed you and go to sleep now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that might be a mantra that we say as, as moms for a long, long time, whether they're newborns or six or 12. Um, yeah. Although I will say some encouragement for, for moms and dads that might be listening that uh, have real young kids and you feel like you're constantly struggling to just get them to eat and sleep. Um, that kind of turns on its head when they're teenagers. It's one of the great things about teenagers is that they pretty much eat all the time and sleep all the time. So the challenge then is getting them to stop eating and to wake up, you know, it kind of, it kind of turns around a little bit on you. And that's a later, the end part of your book, you talk about, you know, if there's an issue you're having and you're struggling with, and you're wondering about how do I discipline this? If it's an issue related to something that will go away in 10 years, it needs Mm -hmm. to be laughable. So if it's an issue related to those things, it it just, yeah, I call that the 10 year rule Mm -hmm. is anything you're kind of dealing with, with your kids attach 10 years, you know, connect 10 years to that same behavior and ask yourself, is this likely to still be happening 10 years from now? And if it's, you know, coming into your room in the middle of the night because they're scared and they had a bad dream and they want to snuggle, they're, they're three now, are they likely to do that when they're 13? Probably not. And, and, you might actually miss that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, t- they tell you the that you'll miss years. that. It's hard. They tell you that you'll miss that. They told me that I would miss it, <laughs> and I didn't like hearing that. So, um, I'm, you know, forgive me for for being the lady who says you're going to miss this, but uh, yeah, you know. Now, it, yeah, tell me a little bit about. I'm going to go back to uh, you entering motherhood. Mm. You were the oldest in your family when you were growing up. Yes, I'm the oldest of four. Yeah, and um, you have parents that yeah, are so I, parenting experts. I have parents. Yeah, parenting I do, expert so. parents. <laughs> so my mom and dad, uh, my dad is Dr. Tim Kimmel. My mom is Darcy. Um, and they founded a ministry called Family Matters um, uh, more than 35 years ago. And um, my dad wrote a book called Grace-Based Parenting that at the time that it it came out and, and really he was speaking and teaching, uh, on this before he wrote the book, but, um, teaching a grace-based approach to parenting was not something that any, anybody that I know had ever heard, um, within the evangelical Christian world. It was just not the norm. There was a lot of great advice. There was a lot of, um, you know, great methodology, uh, that was being taught about Christian parenting. But in terms of saying that we have a biblical model of parenting and the theology of family is that God is our father 
and we are his children. And the way that we have a relationship with God, our father is through grace. Mm -hmm. Grace is the front door, the back door and the side door into a relationship with God. Um, and that's how he relates to us. And so if that's true and the Bible just is right on the surface from Genesis to revelation, the narrative of, of God's grace, um, and, and how that defines his relationship with his children. So because that's true, what better model do we have as earthly moms and dads with our own kids to follow than, than that of grace? Um, and, and I think a good biblical definition of grace is, is unmerited or undeserved favor. Mm-hmm. So that means that, that we get the, the favor, the love, the acceptance of God our Father, not because of anything that we do or don't do, but because of who God is yeah. uh, and what he's done. And so, you know, you can't, you can't earn grace because we, we can never be good enough to deserve God's grace. And that's why we say it's undeserved. Um, we can also not do anything to lose it. And so it's from that understanding that, um, that the theology of family is that we ought to treat the people who we love the way that God treats us. And that's with grace. <laughs> it's, and it's so hard if if you are a mom and you've come from a home that that wasn't the parenting right. style and you yeah. struggle yeah. to personally right. accept God's grace for you and you are working to be that perfect mom and to be the perfect woman right. um, and you right. can't even grasp it for yourself yeah. to then yeah. say, I'm going to show grace to my kids is... Right completely foreign it, and it's a yeah total it, paradigm shift yeah yeah and then let's say you do say okay i'm, I'm bought in yes i want to be mm-hmm. a grace-based parent and you misunderstand that to mean license so right, you're not doing the right. legalistic they're not earning anything but you also haven't been a loving gracious parent because you're not setting any rules or boundaries or consequences and that right talk right. about that well, a little bit the legalism versus license yeah. and grace how does that all fit together Right. Well, you know, grace uh, is neither legalism, which means um, rules for rules sake and feeling that that following rules somehow earns God's favor. Okay. So or our love if we're in a home, like our love and acceptance. Right. Exactly. Our love and acceptance as parents. Um, But license is the other, you know, gutter uh, on the other side of grace in that we assume that, uh, that there are no rules, there's no consequences, there's no boundaries. And that's not gracious either, because I mean, ask yourself, is that how God treats me? Is that what the Bible says, uh, how, how God relates to me and relates to his, his people in the Bible? Absolutely not. Um, Hebrews twelve six says that the Lord disciplines those he loves. Yeah. And we have the Ten Commandments. We have uh, a lot of examples throughout the whole biblical narrative of God saying, do this or don't do this. And, uh, you know, somebody not doing the thing that they're being asked by God to do and suffering consequences for it or doing the thing that God said don't do and having consequences for it. And so, there's there's no evidence in in the Bible to suggest that grace means that rules and boundaries and limitations and then consequences when those those boundaries are crossed. That there's no evidence that those things don't apply with our relationship with God. And so, in our relationship with our kids, the same is true. Um, and that's and this, think- this book is perfect for that. That's why it's so great because we. I think we are like, okay, I'm going to show them grace and I'm going to show them that no matter what you do, I love you. And then they do the thing like the horrible of the horrible, the hit the sibling, the, the complete right in your face, knock over the thing that they just, you just told them not to knock over direct disobedience. And you're like, okay, I read the book. I'm going to be grace based, but what do I do? How do I discipline this? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I saw a huge need to write a book called Grace-Based Discipline because too often I see 
uh, grace and discipline sort of juxtaposed mm-hmm. against each other as though they are opposite things. Um, but discipline is, is an important and tangible form of grace that we can give to our children. It's, a, it's an important, tangible form of favor that we can, can give them. And here's why. Um, because it, it's not gracious to send our kids out into a world that is not going to tolerate certain types of behavior. Um, we set them up for failure. We set them up for a life of, um, of heartache and um, of problems if we don't teach them to live by standards and and, and God's standards, not just the world's, you know, earthly rules and standards, but God's moral law as well. Um, and it's not, we're not teaching them to do that because they need to do it to earn our love and favor or God's love and favor, but simply for their joy. Mm-hmm. You know, staying within the boundaries increases our joy. God knows that. That's why he, he has set the boundaries that he's set because he wants us to experience the most joy possible. Um, And so often I think we want a discipline strategy. Like we read a book and we're like, just tell me what to do. They do the misbehavior. I give the consequence and then they're better. Like we, that's what we're looking for. And I love that your book starts um, bigger picture, like Mm -hmm. looking more at um, the grander ideas as you approach your children, letting them have that that whole grace-based idea of the freedom to make mistakes, the freedom to be vulnerable, the freedom to be different, the freedom, you know, to make sure that they feel secure and love and they have purpose and hope, like the grander scheme ideas of parenting, not just you do what I say when I say, because I say, and that being discipline, Mm -hmm. that that discipline is, is something that comes later in the conversation uh, Mm -hmm. after you've established yeah, the tactics come later. Yeah. Um, right. And so here's an analogy that I've really not used before. So we're going to see how well this works uh, <laughs> okay. live here with you okay. and, and uh, my friends at home listening. Okay. So I'm sure you can email me and tell me all the ways that this falls short. But, um, <laughs> but uh, if you, let's say you are trying to learn to be a mathematician. And I would say being a grace-based disciplinarian is equivalent to being a mathematician, right? Um, Except that what we're asking for is simply to be taught the equation and just memorize it and do it. So like you said, people want an A plus B equals C kind of an equation for disciplining. Like, just tell me what to say, tell me what to do when my kid does this, or when my kid says this, that's, that's what we ask for because that's what we think we need. Mm -hmm. And I've talked to hundreds of moms and dads and, and that's always the kind of frequently asked question is what do I do when my kid does? And they you know, fill in the blank with something, or what do I say when my kid said this and they, and they, you know, explain what their kid said. The problem is that there's not an equation. And even mm-hmm. if there were an equation, um, so here's, here's this mathematician, um, you know, analogy, I'm trying to help parents become mathematicians, not just memorize equations so that they can pass a test in their seventh grade algebra class. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to know why you're doing what you're doing. Mathematicians know why they're doing what they're doing. They understand the the relationship that numbers have on each other. Um, I'm, I'm trying to help parents understand um, from the very beginning that, that the way that they relate to their kids and the way that they relate to God and God relates to them is all connected. And so we've, we've got to go back there first, but I tried real hard in the book not to make it all philosophy. You know, right at the start, I tried to teach um, some real specific things that that moms and dads can do right away. Yeah, um, that can help tremendously. One thing that was helpful for me was your introduction, which just the imagery. Uh, I know throughout the book you use this. Your brother is a fire fighter, and the idea that firefighters don't run into a fire. Talk about that. Mm-hmm. Talk about that. Cause that's like, okay, let's imagine the analogy is that the, the behavioral issue is the fire and you, the parent right. or the firefighter going in to deal right. with the issue. And 
talk about this difference on how firefighters handle it. Right. So, so, I mean, I, yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the metaphor of a first responder that I use a lot throughout the book. My, my brother's a firefighter. My sister is actually a nurse practitioner. She's another um, type of first responder, but we're the first responder to our kids' discipline crises or emergencies or whatever they are. We're the one that, that is there and we have to be the ones that respond, not react Um, except that often we are in this fire with them. We are a victim. We are collateral damage Mm -hmm. of whatever it is they're doing at the time. We've got to disconnect from our victimhood long enough to act as a firefighter. And so, uh, yeah, right in the, right in the, uh, on page one, I talk about how firefighters never run into a burning building. And I, you know, that's not something that I would have known. And I think that it's kind of a profound thing when people hear it, we, we picture, okay, blazing fire, firefighters get out of the, out of the fire truck, it comes screaming around the corner, they all unload and they tear in there um, because it's urgent. Right. Right. Um, but that's not the way that it goes. Uh, firefighters never run into a burning building um, or towards it. They, they, they get out, they assess now they might be hurrying, they might be sort of briskly walking toward the crises, but they're, they want to know what can I see? What can I smell? What can I hear? What's the temperature like? They're making all of these sort of automatic assessments that they become skilled in as first responders. And they're also not running because they're covered in gear. They've got an oxygen tank on they don't want to get their heart racing too much and start burning up oxygen before they um, before they enter into the the fire because they know that the people who they're going into there to save that those people's lives depend on them showing up ready to respond to the blaze. Uh, also, firefighters aren't panicking; mm-hmm. they they are not um, reacting; they're responding. Um, even though they, it it seems so automatic that it might almost seem like a reaction. They have trained and, uh, they've disciplined themselves to disconnect from, from fear, disconnect from, um, from anger or uncertainty or, um, even, even their own victimization. They, they can disconnect from those things as a first responder to give the person uh, that they're charged with rescuing mm. what they need. You know and, what I just, and that's us as parents. Well, and I'm thinking you said all first responders. I'm thinking about nurses and doctors. And, and they, yeah. they, this is what they do every day. So crisis is right. like their norm. And then I right. just got this picture of the mom of 12 kids, right? Mm-hmm. So when her or, – Or two. Or two. But the one of 12 kids and she's, she's had her 12th three-year-old, right? Mm-hmm. She has seen three-year-old behavior now 12 times. <laughs> and so she's not ruffled like right. I was right. with my first three year old. I'm like, what's wrong with you? What have I done wrong? Right. And it's personal. And like you said, right. I'm victimized and I'm drawn into the drama and, mm-hmm. and I can't separate myself and, uh, the potty training on oh my word. It's just so right. out of control, emotionally heightened. And even by the time right. I got to my fourth, it was like, if a tantrum happened, I would not get pulled into it. It was, it was like, I'm so sorry you feel that way. Let me know when you're right. done. And I could right easily respond, not react. Right. But it's hard when you're that first time mom and this is the first time you're seeing it and you don't know that 10 years from now, they're not going to be tantruming in the grocery store. You literally think if I don't take care of this now, they are going to end up in jail. Like they will be gone forever that, that you are ultimately responsible for all this and it's very personal and you must be a bad mom and I have to get this perfectly. You know, even right, that whole, right. we have so much information that there's got to be some article out there that's going to help me say the exact right thing so that my mm-hmm. child does the exact right thing in this situation. And I must just not have the right information. And yeah. I love that you said you don't have to be a perfect parent. You just have to be a good enough grace-based parent. Like to yeah. let that go is helpful. Yes. It's yes. very helpful. Because we're none of us are perfect parents. And, and my mom and dad who, who wrote the book, you know, literally wrote the book on parenting and my home growing up, that was sort of the proving ground of 
the uh, theology of parenting being grace. I mean, and I'm the the firstborn of four, so I was, you know, the the first test subject on this. Um, I can say my parents were not perfect parents, mm-hmm. um, but that's what's amazing about grace. And if if the climate in your in your home, if you kind of set the temperature on grace, and if you let that become the defining feature of your marriage, of your relationship with your friends, of your relationship with your kids, of your church, it just becomes the whole climate, then, I mean, it's assumed that perfection is is not going to happen. Mm. Um, and you're more able to give yourself grace as well. Mm. Um, and it starts with that. You, you, have to, you have to give yourself grace first so that you are equipped to give it to, to those around you and accept, uh, you know, grace from God as well. I mean, if, if without that, without, um, that relationship, we really don't, we don't have a, a bank account to draw on in the, in the grace department without receiving, um, Christ's grace for us first. Yeah. Okay. So I love the imagery of the firefighter. Hopefully that mm-hmm. helped other people and first responders. I also, your basket strategy. Um, I want you to talk about yeah. now. First, when I read it, I was like, I don't even think I like my kids' hearts, but I I came around yeah. to it. <laughs> came around yeah. to it. Yeah. I'm gonna try it when I pick them up from school today. But tell us mm-hmm. about this basket strategy because again, it has nothing to do with our kids. We haven't even gotten to them yet, right? We're talking about our yeah. responding versus yeah. reacting, and now we're gonna right. try how we approach them and their right. misbehavior. Right. So tell us about this. Okay, so uh, so this basket basket strategy, it's really just um, you know kind of a mental exercise or a visualization, if if we want to be all woo woo um, <laughs> to use that word, right? But um, you know, I I thought it was important that you know I'm, I'm asking parents to to think of themselves as first responders to start to try to not take their kids behavior personally, even if it is, and it often is right. Right. You have to choose not to take your kid's behavior personally, Mm -hmm. even if it is. Mm -hmm. And, and God is able to do that with us. He's able to not take our sin and behavior personally, even when it absolutely is. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's his model that we're following. And obviously he's God and we're not. So he has uh, the ability to, to separate our sin as far as the East is for the West, to forget our sin. We, we don't really have that ability as, as parents, but I thought there's got to be a strategy or a tool that I can teach parents to help them de-escalate their own emotions, to help them disconnect from the victimhood of the situation that they're in with their kids. And so I call it the basket. Mm-hmm. And you don't need anything to do this other than your own mind. Um, and some kind of a crisis with your kids, which I'm sure they'll come up with plenty of things yeah. for us to practice on. Yeah. Um, so the way that this works is when your kid, let's say they're either, what example do you want to use? Uh, having a tantrum or... Uh, just, uh, just to say like a sibling battle in the car. Everyone's yelling right. and stopping right. it and you're Everyone's a jerk. Mm-hmm. And, and everyone's freaking out mm-hmm. and you're about, you know, one tick away mm-hmm. from exploding on everyone yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but because you're in the car, you're not where you're going yet. You're not in a place where you can um, necessarily take an action right now other than screaming at them. So if you don't want to scream at them, uh, if that's not effective, and I think it's not, um, I'm guilty of doing it though. So, you know, no judgment, but it just doesn't work. Right. right. So or it might shut them down for a second and it does, but it doesn't yeah. like do the hard work that you're looking for. Right. It, yeah. It doesn't reconcile, it doesn't rectify the situation and it doesn't teach them anything. Right. And discipline is, is teaching them mm-hmm. as well as applying consequences. Um, and so with the basket, what you do is just in your mind, imagine your child standing in front of you, your sweet little, uh, lovely one who, whose sweet apologetic eyes just get, you know, touch your heart every day. Right. And then imagine the behavior rather than as an internal behavior, imagine them, uh, as something external that's hanging off of your child. I like to picture like, um, almost like large, like weights that you might use on the end of a fishing rod to, to Mm -hmm. pull the the lure down. Right. But I imagine them being like life-size, right. Hanging off my, my children, like that, that big one there, that's 15 pounds. That's, 
the, you know, the screaming match that she just had with her sister. And that one over there is the, is the, um, tantrum she had in the grocery store when I wouldn't buy her something in the checkout aisle that she wanted. And then, uh, you know, imagine that you have a basket in your hand. Um, one that it's like Mary Poppins, uh, purse, you know, you can put as much in it and as you want, and it doesn't get heavy. So imagine walking over and you take those weights off of your child and you put them in this basket and then you, you take the basket and you're going to do this until you've pulled everything off of them. Take that basket, walk it into another room and put it up on a shelf and then come back and look at your child without those things and look at their heart and, and remember why you love them and remember their strengths and remember their, um, God given talents and remember how, you know, you first felt when you looked in their eyes, um, when they first became yours then, and this is all something that you can do almost instantly in your own mind, right? Then you're able to, um, see their heart the way that God sees us when he, when he looks at us, um, you've removed the threat, those things that they're doing, those behaviors, those words, that tantrum, we see that as a threat. And so in order to deescalate and be calm, like a firefighter, We've got to remove the threat. Otherwise, we're in fight or flight mode. Mm-hmm. We've got to get that away from us. And we can, we do this just mentally in our own mind, remove the threat and come back and, and look at your child because those behaviors come from your child, but they don't define your child. It's not who they are. It's what they're doing right now. But I think um, that there can be a habit of so many years, especially middle kids. I think, you mm-hmm. know, there's this element of... Um, you just need them to be okay so that you can move on mm-hmm. with everything. And yeah, so there becomes yeah. this habit of just seeing the behavior that is like you just hate and to mm-hmm. the point where you don't see their hearts anymore. You don't see their, right. their good right. pieces. You just see right. them getting in the way, them getting right. in the way. And, and that, that can build to disrupt the relationship. Just, you're just seeing their behavior, but we've mm-hmm. got to be able to separate our kids' behavior from their hearts mm-hmm. so that we can see them a little bit more the way that God sees them. Um, and this is a biblical concept. I mean, it, this, this idea comes from the concept, the, the, uh, the concept of atonement. And that idea is that, uh, you know, Christ's sacrifice on the cross, it atoned for, it paid for all the sin of the world all the sin that had ever been done, all the sin that was ever going to be done. And that had to happen. Uh, Christ's sacrifice had to then remove our behavior, our sin from our hearts and pay for it. So that when God looks at us through the, the lens of Christ's righteousness, he sees us as righteous. Hmm. He sees us as whole. He sees our hearts and can, and connects with our hearts. His, you know, him and his holiness can connect with us as human beings because the price has already been paid. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so that's where this idea is derived from is, is this idea of atonement. And so for our kids, we need some mechanism to separate their behavior from their heart. And, you know, this is, this is often hard to do in the moment. So I will say, you know, if, if anyone listening thinks, well, yeah, that's easy to say now, but it's hard to do in the moment. It is hard to do in the moment. And I often forget to do it in the moment. I'll maybe remember to do it in the moment one time out of 10, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe closer to one time out of 20, but at least it's, it's sometimes, and then um, when I often use this, and, and I uh, I want people to know that this, this doesn't have to be in the moment for this to be helpful, too. You can do it retroactively. So let's say you've had a really hard day, and you're just kind of reeling mm. from a day full of behavior from one of your kids or several of your kids that has just made you nuts, and you're laying in bed at night, and your mind is just racing through all these things. Go through each of your kids one at a time and uh, imagine doing this. Mm-hmm. Think of the things during that day that just set you off. Um, and that's the only criteria. Like we don't need to do anything else at this point. We just need, if it bothered you so much that you couldn't think and it lit up your emotions, it goes in the basket and we take it and we put it on a shelf mm-hmm. and we come back and we look at our kids. 
um, so that we can reconnect with their hearts. Yeah. And I love that a lot of your ideas and what you wrote about in this book is stuff that you can do outside of a time of crisis, outside of a time of crisis. um, You have this great activity to focus on your kids' strengths and how they are different and how your family as a whole is wired using this country's Mm -hmm. idea, which y'all need to check out. Um, Mm. It was really helpful for me to think about even our hardest ones, the ones that can often cause the most issues, quote unquote issues, uh, to see them differently and realize, oh, that's why. That's why that's an issue. And it's because this is a priority for them and the rest of us, it's not a priority for us. Um, So there's where the tension is. So thinking outside of um, behavior to look at the individual child and to look at you as a parent. Well, yeah, you mentioned the countries. um, And and so in part of the book, I, I take the reader through an understanding of um, that there's four different countries that people in your family can, can be from naturally. And this is based on what's called the kids flag page. The kids flag page is an in-depth personality profile for kids that, that was developed by family matters, uh, in partnership with laugh your way ministry. Um, and the way that we think about kind of the four quadrants uh, personality quadrants are as countries. And so there's perfect country. People can be from perfect country, peace country, fun country, or control country. And, um, everybody has kind of a dominant country and then a, and then a, an adopted country, country, a subdominant country. And so the, the two of those things modify each other. So for example, um, my main country, uh, you know, the flag I fly is the fun flag. I'm from fun country and my adopted country is control country. Um, but you might have kids that are from perfect control or peace fun or any combination. And so sometimes things that we, that bother us, that our kids do, or our spouse does, um, is, is simply them existing, uh, you know, acting according to the culture of the country that they're from. Mm. Um, but it rubs up against the culture of the country that we're from. Um, and so a lot of the time stuff that our kids do isn't wrong. It's just different Yeah. or stuff that our spouse does that annoys us. Isn't wrong. It's just different. And so it's really important that we identify those things because if we, if we, you know, try to, uh, you know, squash those things in our kids because they annoy us, we really end up, um, you know, shortchanging them because God designed them in a certain way. And so as much as possible, we've got to let the members of our family, uh, you know, fly their own flag and, and exist according to the the countries of their, uh, or the culture of their country. And then I also loved your whole section on rules (laughs) and your hilarious story about asking your daughters what your family rules are, because, Sometimes we think, oh, they're just so bad all the time and they just, oh, don't they listen to anything I say? And and you haven't really sat down to say, well, what is most important for our family and what right. what are rules? And, and then you differentiate rules from like just household preferences, how the dishwasher's loaded or mm-hmm. um, I know when my husband takes out the trash, if he has the bag sitting next to the trash can, I am supposed to put any trash in those bags. I am not supposed to put them in the freshly bagged trash can or that is a frustration. So those yeah, little quirks right. that each of us, how we function and we can't, you know, that's not necessarily right. a rule. Right. Um, but right. we can get worked up about. Right. In terms of rules, we need to kind of uh, learn to identify the different types of rules because I mean, like, like the story that you referred to, I thought, well, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm writing a parenting book and I speak on this. So clearly my kids are going to give me, you know, a great little soundbite here of, of rules so that it, you know, I can make it clear to everyone that I'm winning at this parenting thing. And, uh, you know, you'll have to read it to find out what happens, but you know, I want to go back in time and bless my own heart for even thinking that because, you know it did not go quite as I had hoped when I asked them, Hey, tell mommy what, you know, explain to me what the rules of our house are. You know, if, if you were, if we were welcoming someone into the home and you were going to say, here's the Murray family rules, this is what they are. And I, you know, we, I got answers that were wildly different from each of them. 
and none of which were even close to what I thought the rules of the house were. So yeah. um, if you can relate to that at all, then I think it, it would be helpful to to think about what, what are your rules and what should they be? Mm. Um, so, you know, we tried to have three main rules, but then I always mm-hmm. found, you know, okay, only eat at the table. That's like something I say nonstop. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. please don't eat until we pray. I mean, these are like little guideline right. things that, that aren't even sticking. I can't even get right. them to, to do those things. But then I like right. all your safety rules. Um, yeah, you kind of differentiate right. between those. And I think it is important that we recognize what we're asking our kids to do mm-hmm. and think through that, um, instead of just like, they're not doing what I said. Right. Yeah. Well, and there's house rules. So mm-hmm. those are kind of the, the regulatory type of things. They're arbitrary. They're, you know, you take your shoes off when you come in the house. Um, no watching television till your homework's done. Only eat at the table. Um, you know, please pray before you eat. Even though that's that, that one has a spiritual, you know, um, connection with it. That's still a house rule. That's still arbitrary. That's yeah. still something specific to you. Um, and to your family. And there's nothing wrong with having house rules, having certain regulatory type of things. But uh, in the grand scheme of things, it's important to see that they're different and ought to be treated differently than something uh, like a safety rule, something that is vital to keep your kids safe, either physically, spiritually, emotionally safe. That's, that has maybe a a slightly different weight than if they simply forget and, you know, take their pop tart out to the, out to the couch instead of sitting at the table, Mm. something that is going to put them in danger that, that is going to require a different type of response from you. And then, then there's the moral biblical rules that, uh, that are the heaviest ones. And, Except though, I mean, and I know I do this, I often treat my house rules as though they're moral biblical rules <laughs> yeah. because they matter a lot to me. Yeah. But, and they, and they, uh, we bump up against them a lot. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. We bump up against them a lot. You know, I, I do not like when somebody opens a package of wheat thins when there is a half open <laughs> package of wheat thins directly next to it in yeah. the cupboard. Yeah. Um, or they, you know, open the uh, the box upside down, or they rip the top off. Like this stuff sends me over the moon. Yeah. Because because I my adopted country is control country, so I like to have you know I like things to be done my way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But that's not uh, a moral rule. It's not a biblical rule. You will not find anything about that in the Bible. Um, and so when we tr- when we treat house rules or even sometimes safety rules. As biblical rules, we attach some kind of a a um, moral or biblical principle to them. It's like us trying to put words in God's mouth, mm. um, and it can really create a level of distrust. Once our kids start reading the Bible on their own, and mine do now, they're going to be like, "You haven't <laughs> seen any of this in there, Mom." You know? Yeah. Uh, and you know, they might start to resent us, and they might even start to resent God. I mean, that's what's at stake. Um, so we've got to see the rules differently and treat them differently. That's um, very helpful. And even just, um, you know, it, it goes along with that whole country thing, recognizing who they are and what are we asking our kids to do? Is this even if they're fun and we're control, that's going to we're going to bump into each other constantly. Mm-hmm. And, and we might right. they might think they're bad kids when they're not really doing the character heart bad things, but they're getting corrected all the time. And we're nagging right. in compliance officers all the time, which right. I feel like with four boys, mm-hmm. it's constant mm-hmm. chaos, right. constant right. chaos. Right. And chaos. you you share personally for those of y'all listening that have this as part of your family story, you share about one of your daughters getting diagnosed with ADHD and then your own diagnosis. And I thought Mm -hmm. that was extremely helpful just for anyone who outside of just sinful people all in one home outside Mm -hmm. of, you know, just basic developmental struggles and tantrums. There's also a layer for a lot of families of uh, neurodevelopmental issues or, diagnoses that impact our disciplinary efforts and we can feel really beat down uh, in trying to implement some of these rules and to show grace and and then we have a child that's not even typically responding to our grace efforts. Can you right. talk to that mom that's that's her story? 
Yeah. Yeah. I, um, early on, you know, we knew that something was different about our younger daughter, Lydia. Um, you know, I know that three-year-olds can't sit still for a long time. I mean, my older daughter is neurotypical. So I had, um, a basis to know that three-year-olds can't sit still for long, but they can, they have some capacity to sit, look, and listen. Mm. And Lydia could not, I mean, she, she would, we'd be at reminder, okay, Lydia, we have to sit down, you sit down, you have to look, you have to listen. And before her little bottom would even hit the the ground to do crisscross applesauce, she would already have forgotten what she was supposed to do. And she's back climbing the walls again. Mm. And, and that can look like defiance. Sometimes it is, but, uh, also it could, it could be a manifestation of some special needs that your child might have. Mm. Um, and those have to be taken into account, uh, otherwise uh, there's a lot of wheel spinning and there can be a lot of pain, um, involved in not recognizing and then, and then getting the help or treatment or, um, you know, enlisting people in your life that can help deal with those things. And for us, that that's one of those things is ADHD. Um, and so by the time Lydia was in school, we, you know, we were getting, uh, having conferences with teachers where they would say, Lydia is so smart. She's kind, she's sweet, but she cannot produce any work on her own. Mm. You know what in the second grade or even in the first grade, what the teacher would say, look, I have to remind all my students what they're supposed to be doing. I have to prompt them. I have to kind of come around and, and bring them back around again when it's time for them to be doing work. But what I have to remind a, a typical, you know, first grade student, maybe five times to do, I have to remind Lydia 30 times to do mm-hmm. in a 15 minute time frame. Mm-hmm. It was so outside of the norm. And so, you know, we, we knew something was going on and that, that, there's kind of a turning point that I talk about in the book, um, kind of a dark time where my daughter said, I, mom, I can't do this anymore. She was in the fourth grade. I can't do this anymore. I, the thought that I have to go to school every day for the next, you know, 10 plus years and struggle, it's just so much. And I just think it might be just easier if I just went to heaven to be with God. Mm. Mm. Um, and I can hardly even say that out loud still. I, yeah. I wrote about it in the book. I can hardly say it out loud because it's just something that rips your heart out as a mother. Mm. Um, but, but God used that to turn, you know, as a turning point for us to seek diagnosis for her and then treatment. And in the process of it, I realized, oh, I have this too. And I can't help her in the way that she needs help if I don't, um, seek this help for myself. Um, and, and so that was important. So that's specifically ADHD, but it, it could be something else for, for you or for your listeners that if we're, if you're seeing a recurring pattern of issues that just aren't being resolved, you know, you might look out for some special needs. There might be something there and it would be worth looking into. Yeah. Well, I appreciated you sharing vulnerably about it and just to have someone write a book on grace-based discipline that it's not hunky-dory and you just were nice all the time and your kids were just great. It was realistic. Uh, you had lots of great examples. We haven't even gotten into the whole last third part. We kind of mentioned the 10-year rule, but I thought it was really helpful when you talk through um, behavior and, and broke it down into different levels and severity, mm-hmm. you know, right. um, I remember when you and I met the whole concept that you don't need to respond to a mistake to the level that you do, um, a disobedience. Like if a child spills mm-hmm. milk, we sometimes flip out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not really like they did it on purpose or that they're a bad kid. It just was an accident. Right, um, right. and then, so you break down, there's, Tell, talk about the different levels real quick. I know this, okay. I could talk to you for hours. I'm serious. <laughs> I'm serious. And we won't get into everything, but I just felt like for me, it was really helpful to think through the layers right. of right. behavior. The different levels of 
of um, offenses, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, something my dad used to always say is don't try to drive in a thumbtack with a sledgehammer. Mm -hmm. And as a parent, I know what that means is that, like you said, spilling, spilling the milk, that's a thumbtack, but we, we come at it at the job with a sledgehammer and we put a hole in the wall and, you know, cause damage because we're uh, overreacting to a small thing. But, but on the other side, it's possible that we underreact or under respond to something that is, uh, is a moral, uh, violation or, um, something that's important because, it, it might be more subtle, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. deceit and lying. It can c- sometimes be subtle in our kids um, or the way that they uh, talk about their brother or sister behind their brother or sister's back. Yeah. Uh, that's subtle. It's not screaming at us like milk spilled across the table. And so we can under respond um, when that is something that attached 10, 10 years to that kind of behavior and it can be really um, damaging to their future, right? And right. so the three categories of offenses, the three that I see, maybe this isn't the only three, right? But there are three categories of offenses. There's regulatory offenses, right? Um, and so these are things like, um, you know, eating the Pop-Tart on the on the couch instead of at the table. Yeah. Household they're, 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 just annoyances. Right. Yeah. Or, or not taking your shoes off when you come in the house or forgetting to hang your coat up on the, you know, the third hanger from the right next to the door. Right. So, I mean, it can get really nitpicky or it can be a little bit broader scope, but essentially regulations are rules that you know, they're house rules that we have set arbitrarily. Mm-hmm. We could, we could regulate completely differently and those things wouldn't necessarily be wrong uh, if we, for example, if, if the speed limit is 40 and somebody is going 45 miles an hour, they're speeding. If they up the speed limit to 50 miles an hour, 45 miles an hour is no longer speeding. Right. right. And so we're the regulators. We can decide how we're going to frame that. Um, so th- those are the little things. And I'm not saying they don't matter and that we shouldn't have rules to help our families function. But but that's kind of the first least serious level. And then there's and so what should our response be to that kind of a level? You know, like you said, it's not a moral code or a character flaw. It's how we mm-hmm. want our home to function. And we probably picked it because it matters to us or it's a habit we're trying to help them build. Yeah. So when they don't do the thing, they're sitting on the couch again. Mm-hmm. What should yeah. our response be in a grace-based discipline approach? I think, uh, well, Trust me, I don't always do this. I don't always respond this way. But what you could do is say, um, Riley, did you forget that I asked you to eat only at the table? Did you forget that? Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, sorry, mom. I forgot. Okay, can we have a Mm do-over? Yeah. Can you go back to the cupboard, pretend you're getting out your your Pop-Tart again, and show me what you're supposed to do instead? Mm -hmm. That's, that's one way to respond to it. If you say, did you forget? And they say, no, I didn't forget. Oh, you didn't forget. So you, you knew that I prefer that you do not eat in the living room, but you did it anyway. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, that, that was, uh, not kind because it's not showing me respect. And so that ups the violation level there. Mm. Bit, right? You get to so the heart the more than behavior. just, yeah, yeah. Right. It's the same behavior, but there's something else behind it. And you say, well, that's unfortunate uh, because I love and I respect you. And I expect your respect in return. And so, unfortunately, you're going to have to, um, you know, attach a consequence. You're going to go without dessert for tonight and the next three nights. Or, you know, we're going to have you pick an extra chore this afternoon. Or, you know, fill in the blank. And it really kind of depends on the age of your kids. And you have a whole consequence section with Mm -hmm. ages of kids. With ages of kids. I think that's the hardest thing to think of consequences in the moment. I'm I'm kind of like, uh, you're going to have to go skin the cat. I don't know. I'm just, I I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. Well, and, and you can do what I call, um, what I call tagging the behavior. So you can simply say, well, that was defiance and defiance is not okay. Mm. Or that, uh, what you said, was not the truth. 
and we always tell the truth. Or what you just said was unkind. What you just did to your brother was dishonoring. So, and be careful not to say you're a liar. You can say you lied. Um, Don't say you're a liar or uh, that was unkind, not you're unkind Mm -hmm. or you're mean, right? Mm -hmm. You're not, you're not saying who they are, but what they did, but you're just tagging it. It gives you a second and you can say, I think that's going to have to have a consequence. We'll talk about that in a minute. Mm. So when in the moment you can tag the behavior, whether it's, whether it's a regulatory offense or whether it's one of the two other kind of categories of violations, which are misdemeanors and felonies, right? Mm. We understand what that means just from our own criminal justice system, right? So there are misdemeanors and there are felonies. There are things that are wrong in and of themselves. They don't just break some kind of a regulatory arbitrary rule that we've set. Um, but they, even, even within that, there's different levels. And so we can tag the behavior regardless of what, um, uh, what level of violation it is. We can say that was untrue. That was unkind. That violated our rule. You know, whatever it is you need to say, give yourself a second, you're buying yourself time, but you've, you've tagged in their mind and in your own mind, um, what, what the thing that they did was, Mm -hmm. and you buy yourself a little time to step back and say, okay, I think that, um, that that's going to have to warrant a consequence. Mm -hmm. And you can, again, you can walk away, you can pray, you can say, okay, Lord, what should I do? Um, and I, and I give kind of a menu of options in the end part of my book, uh, the, in regards to consequences, not just, um, negative consequences, but also responses. There's sort of a menu in the back there. I call it the sushi menu because you can order, you can order one thing, you can order 10 things, you can put them all together. You know, they, they sort of, uh, complement each other and you can have, you know, take a, take a copy of that or, or write it down or write it on your chalkboard in, in, uh, your kitchen and have something where you can go back to it and say, okay, here's some choices I have. Um, what do I think might make sense as a response to this? Um, and again, you're not going to do this all the time. You're not going to do it perfect all the time. But, but if, if, if you're feeling desperate, if you're a mom or dad that is feeling desperate with your kids and you, you never, you feel like you never know what to do. If you knew what to do and you were able to do it one time out of 10 work, that is, that is imperfect progress. That's going to make a huge difference in your relationship with your kids. Um, And I think what you've done in this book and in this conversation is you've freed parents up from just seeing everything very black and white as far as every kid the same, every uh behavior the same, every consequence the same. You've kind of, Uh I think there's sometimes this pressure if I don't deal with this right now with this kid in this moment that I'm a bad parent and to, give them more eyes to see, like you said, be that mathematician who thinks through and processes what is actually going on here. Cause sometimes what I think in our own house is that I spend so much time on those household things and the nagging that I'm missing the heart issues that are the bigger deal that, mm-hmm. that actually right. need right. my attention, but I'm not even allocating resources because I'm so busy over here, uh, right. dealing with yeah. the misdemeanors and the, and the regulatory offenses. Right. Yeah. And, and sometimes that's because as we look at the different categories of rules and, you know, we start to kind of see our different types of rules for what they are. And, um, you know, I even suggest a, a kind of family summit, a family project that you can do where you kind of just everybody brainstorms different rules you have and you start to put them into those different categories. You might find that you have a long list of house rules. Mm. Um, but not as many rules that fit into the safety rule category or the moral biblical rule category. And I'm not telling people how many rules there should be or how many rules should be in each column. But they might see a pattern. Yeah. But you might see a pattern. You might see, wow, I have a long list of house rules and, and, and it makes sense because I'm constantly, I constantly feel like I'm, you know, this, this, you know, regulations inspector that is constantly trying to, um, you know, hand out traffic tickets or parking tickets to, to my kids for all of these things. Maybe you just need to reduce that list. You know, there just might be so many regulations that nobody can keep them all, you know, and, and, and everybody in the home feels like, 
you know, they're going to put their toe across the line and it's all going to come crashing down. And that, that is not a, a climate that gives anybody peace, mm-hmm. including mom and dad, you know, yeah. uh, you're never at peace because you feel like you've got to constantly be regulating this kind of stuff. So my suggestion in that instance is eliminate everything that's not necessary mm. in that column, because the moral biblical rules, those are all necessary. You can't, you can't get rid of those. And, yeah. and the safety rules are, are usually almost all necessary too, although they can be very different in different contexts for different people. But, but those, those house rules, you could really eliminate a lot of them and just ask yourself, what is the goal? Mm-hmm. What's the overall goal? And how can I give everybody as much freedom and liberty in this home as possible? Wendy, um, and to quote you to you. Uh, to, <laughs> watching our Heavenly Father parent His children, that grace means responding with discipline that's for our kids and the power of love applied for them rather than against them. Keeping that in our mind as we yeah. approach all of this, that would God would God do that that way? Is that how He regulates that, us? Yeah. Is that how He regulates us? Yeah. And the answer is no, no. because you know, we, we would all fall short. I think you see this in the old Testament, so many rules and regulations. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, now that we, we have the whole revelation of God, we see that part of the purpose of all of those rules of the law is to make it clear to us that we can never keep the law in its entirety. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus became the law on our behalf and paid the price on our behalf. And that is grace. And so in our homes, the same needs to be true. Yeah. Kara is so good. Where do people <laughs> find you online? Where can they find you? Well, they can follow, uh, if they want to follow me on Facebook, want to connect with me, I'm uh, Karis Kimmel Murray author on Facebook. Um, and I'm Karis K. Murray on Instagram. And then uh, you can connect with my ministry, Family Matters, online at familymatters.net and on Facebook and Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. So Fabulous. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for writing this book and for coming on here. And I know the gals listening have can walk away and feel more equipped and inspired and that they don't have to be perfect, but good enough grace-based parents. Good enough grace-based parents. Thanks, Heather. Thank you. Have a fabulous day. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. I know this is a long interview, so I'm not going to take a long time to wrap up, but I did want to share with y'all my heart for you. My goal is never to give you a formula. Like Kara said, my goal is never to tell you, well, you should X, Y, and Z, and you should blah, 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 blah. That is a weight I'm not wanting to put on you. My goal is always to connect you with wise women, to allow God through the power of the Holy Spirit to draw your heart close to him so you can hear his voice for your kids. And these are just resources and things to help guide you in that. Just like in Paul's letter in 1 Corinthians when he says uh, it is he and Apollos who plant uh, the seeds and God grows. God's doing the growing. It is never a person in your path who does the growing. It's only him who does that in you. And I'm just totally humbled to be a part of your story, to point you back to him, to point you to time in his word to point you to grace, to point you to gospel so that you can do this piece of your life because this raising children thing is just a part of your story, but you can do this piece and this mission and this ministry well because you are fueled by him and not by outsource, uh, like outside, you know, checklists and processes and shoulds and shouldn'ts. So, That's my hope for you, that you would allow God to grow the things, both in you, and and he really spoke to me when I was reading that passage, that I would allow God to grow those things in my children. That part of this grace-based parenting is giving myself grace that I don't have to rely on doing it exactly right for their outcome to be, quote-unquote, successful. But that's up to God, and then I'm just planting the seeds, I'm doing my part, and, and watering, but he is ultimately the one that will grow them into the men and women he has planned for them to be. All right. Thanks y'all for listening again. Thank you for sharing on Instagram and Facebook and with your friends. You're so sweet to want this for your mom, friends in your life so that they don't mom alone. 
You're so sweet to be leading these GCM groups. So many encouraging stories are coming my way of women gathering together around the podcast. It's like a book club, but with podcasts. So there's not a lot of homework to do. You simply put in your earbuds, listen to a show, and then get together with friends and talk about it. It's like a simple, low-commitment, low-homework way, an excuse, really, to gather with girlfriends and not mom alone. So... If you're curious about this GCM podcast club that I'm talking about, go to godcentermom.com backslash podcast club to get more information. All right. Don't worry about being the perfect, perfect parent. Just make good grace-based choices. Talk to you later. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the God Centered Mom podcast. If you're looking for more resources on how to replace me with he, go to GodCenteredMom.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guest. I want you to really understand and know that God is just as present while you are washing dishes at your kitchen sink as while you are worshiping Him in a church pew. He sees your service to your family and He is pleased. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Have a great day.